and we wouldn't think so either, right? We wouldn't have thought so either because we would expect Jesus to do exactly what deceased people do. That's why in the accounts of the Gospels, we don't find anyone outside the tomb of Jesus counting backwards. Ten, nine, eight, seven, cue the sun, six, five, four, three, cue the rumble, two, one, massive burst of light. There's no one outside. No one outside the tomb because they all expected Jesus to stay dead. They did exactly what anyone would do who expected Jesus to do what all deceased people do. And so Mark writes this in chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, and so that meant they were free to come out and do work again. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They were actually going to re-embalm Jesus' body. And the reason that they had to go and purchase them is that because they had not purchased them ahead of time, because the, the events, they all happened so head-swimmingly fast. Late Thursday night, Jesus is arrested. Friday morning, they wake up and hear that Jesus has been arrested. And then by Friday evening, Jesus is dead and buried. And this is unimaginable. It happened so quickly. Uh, and by the time that they found out about the events, that they were happening so quickly, there was no way for them to catch up what was going on, e even emotionally. They believed, like all of Jesus' followers believed, that, that he was a great teacher and that, that he was a miracle worker from God. And they had hoped that he was the Messiah. But clearly they were wrong because God would not allow his Messiah to be crucified. They watched him die. And, and then they followed Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who probably paid Pilate to collect Jesus' body, and they followed along this path in absolute shock that all of these events had taken place so quickly. How did it happen? Jesus had come to Jerusalem and everyone expected him to proclaim himself Messiah. And now they are following Nicodemus and Joseph, both members of the Sanhedrin, to a tomb that they had never been to before. And they, and they watched Jesus being placed there. And then they watched two men as they hurriedly embalm the body and they are just in shock. They spend the next couple of nights with their heads spinning, but, you know, after Passover, well, they have to do something. And so they decide that they're going to go back and, and perhaps they can get into the tomb. And, and then they can spend the time to just catch up emotionally to all the events of just the last hours. So Mark continues in verse 2. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Because they had seen that stone rolled into place. In verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And then Luke, who thoroughly investigated everybody who was a part of this entire story, said that they went inside and they found that the tomb was empty. And, he, and here's the thing that you need to know, especially if you used to be a church person, if Maybe you used to be a Christian and perhaps this right now is the time of year when you go to church with your family or 
Maybe you go with your grandparents or whatever because it's just something the family does, right? It's just something you do. Perhaps part of the story that you never heard as a child, assuming that you grew up hearing the story, is that when Jesus' closest followers peered into the empty tomb, not one, not a single one of them assumed resurrection. When Mary and the group of women peered into that empty tomb, they assumed exactly what we would assume. They assumed someone had stolen the body. And the text tells us that they, they ran back to the disciples to, to find the disciples who are hiding, right? So John 20 tells us that the group of women comes back and they said to the disciples, they and you know whoever they are, we don't even know who they are, but they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So someone has gone into the tomb and, and, and they took his body. We, we have no idea who they are. And it says that the disciples, they're, they're so skeptical, right? The, the women are frantic. Uh, they seem so emotional. So Luke 24 says this about the disciples in verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So here's something that perhaps you have in common with Jesus' best first century friends. If you're someone who would acknowledge that Jesus is a historical person, and almost everybody does now, once upon a time there were scholars who were debating and they doubted that there was ever a historical Jesus, but that whole idea has kind of come and gone. Basically, everybody now acknowledges that Jesus was a historical person. And if you are one of the people who says that, you know, certainly he said some good things, and perhaps there were even parts of his life that are things that maybe we should emulate. But you think that that whole resurrection part is just a bit of nonsense? Well, you're in good company. All of Jesus' best friends and closest followers felt the exact same way on the morning that it was discovered that his body was gone. None of them assumed resurrection. They assumed what everybody assumed because they assumed that Jesus would stay dead. But Peter and another one of the disciples, they couldn't just sit there, right? The women were insisting, and the body is gone, the body is gone. And, but they, they, they don't want to all go as a group because they don't want to get arrested. So Peter and John left the room, and they went to discover and to go look for themselves. So Luke 24, 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away. Not shouting, Jesus is alive, there's been a miracle. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And this is one of the most important parts of the narrative. The, the men and, and the women who are closest to all the action and, and the writers of the New Testament themselves, they actually document the skepticism, the unbelief of the very people who would become the spokesman and the spokeswomen for this brand new movement that was just about to begin. So don't ever forget this. They documented their own disbelief. These were not superstitious people. These were men and women who had given up all hope. There was no dream to keep alive. There was no movement to keep going. So in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together. So look at this part, okay? They are not hiding this. 
with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Well, they took Jesus, right? No doubt they're coming for us. Pilate gave them permission to take the leaders. Certainly, that means it's going to be open season on all the rest of his followers. So the very evening after the morning when Jesus' body was discovered missing, none of them are running through the streets yelling, Jesus is alive! None of them sensed a miracle. Because that would be unbelievable, right? They are hiding. And they had been hiding for the previous two evenings. And the text tells us that Jesus pays them a visit. And they responded the same way that you would respond, the same way that I would respond when somebody we had seen die and be buried showed up in the room with us. In verse 37, it says, they were startled and frightened. Classic Bible understatement. Thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? This is also classic Jesus. I can fully imagine him uh, smiling and grinning at them, not in mockery, right? But with a playful delight as he seeks to give them a new template through which to see life. Why are you so afraid? Why are you still letting yourself live in a world where you question the significance of your encounter with me? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why are you afraid? Why are you worried? What happened to your faith? Stop looking at the pandemic and look at me. Stop looking at what you fear and look at me. So Jesus shows up in a room after he had been crucified and died. And these were men who knew where his dead body had been placed. And just moments before, they were together assuming that someone had taken the body. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you. Well, I was still with you. Why are you surprised? You know, did you not listen? Well, sure, I listened, right? But this is all kind of beyond my experience. And when Jesus gave them the bad news about himself, they all just kind of checked out and edited it in their heads. And well, well, of course he doesn't actually mean that, right? He must just be exaggerating. You know what? I do the same thing when I'm telling my fishing stories, right? Makes for a better story. But he's the Messiah of God. And the Messiah that we have always believed in, well, that Messiah, bad things can't happen to that Messiah. But everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is how they describe their Bible. They didn't didn't have a single volume like we think of it. They had sacred scripture, and that's what they called their sacred scripture. Jesus said, I told you, this was foretold. This was talked about in the sacred scriptures. And I tried to, I tried to connect those dots for you. Don't, don't you remember when I said in verse 46, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then he looked at, you know, in the eye and he told them something that's so incredibly important. Something that would ultimately change their lives. Something that, they would, um, that would result in us being here gathered today. Verse 48, he said, you are witnesses of these things. And they certainly were. They were witnesses. They were witnesses to the event that changed the world. They were witnesses to the event that launched 
the church, the resurrection of Jesus created Christianity. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that launched the church. The church did not create the Bible. The church did not create the story of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus launched the church and created our faith. Because before the resurrection, there were no Christians. After he was crucified, there were no believers. After he was crucified, everybody gave up hope. No one was going to launch a movement in Jesus' name. No one was going to go around telling the story of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the prodigal son, not on anyone's playlist. No one was going to repeat his teaching to anyone. Jesus claimed just far too much about himself. It was, it was possible, if it was possible for him to be arrested and then crucified, then he was not who he claimed to be. And the resurrection changed all of that because Peter and Andrew and James and John and even Mary admitted that nobody was expecting no body. All of them expected Jesus to stay dead. Now, if you are new to Into One, there's something very important uh, that you should know about us. The reason that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is their testimony. We do not believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because eyewitnesses told us so. We believe because Matthew, who was an eyewitness, tells us so. We believe because Mark, who was good friends with and spent lots of time with Peter and then got Peter's direct eyewitness account, tells us so. We believe because Luke came along and fully investigated all of these events, talked to as many eyewitnesses as possible, and then put it all together in an orderly account. And we believe because John, another close-up eyewitness, put together an account of Jesus' life. We believe because Peter believed. And then he wrote that Jesus rose from the dead. And he wrote letters to the church telling them what he had seen, and what he had heard. We believe because James, the brother of Jesus, James shows up late in the story and he declares, just imagine this, for those of you who have brothers, he declares that his brother is his Lord. What would it take for you to declare that your brother, the, the one that you grew up with, was your Lord? More than a couple of card tricks. But when James met his resurrected brother, James declared his brother Lord, his Lord. And then last, and he would say that he is the least, the Apostle Paul believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And it, so it's not enough to say, I don't believe the Bible, and the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead. That's not why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe because of exactly what Jesus told those men in that room. You will be my witnesses. And your witness to this event to, will, will be enough to take this message to every nation in the world beginning here in Jerusalem. They documented these events and they were copied and they were gathered and they were distributed and it's why we are here today and it's why we say the foundation of the Christian faith is an event. The foundation of the Christian faith is not faith. The foundation of our faith is not a book. It is an extraordinary event with profound implications 
profound implications for your life, for your fears, for your hopes, for your dreams. It's Peter who peered into that empty tomb. Peter who tracked along with Jesus from the day that Jesus invited Peter to take him fishing. Peter who believed and then unbelieved and then denied that he had ever believed and then re-believed. Did you, did you catch all that? Peter who believed that when Jesus was arrested, well, he unbelieved and then, and then ran. And then when he was confronted by a junior high schoolgirl, he said, no, 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 I had never believed. And then after the resurrection, he re-believed. The apostle Peter, who tradition tells us was crucified upside down in Nero's Rome, because of his faith in Christ, that very same Peter, before he was executed, sat down, we believe, with Mark and gave his account of Jesus' life. We believe that they sat down with a scribe and Peter dictated out two letters that have survived all the way from antiquity and they are now currently part of our New Testament. And in one of those letters, the Apostle Peter, who's now an old man and he's, he's looking back on his life and the events of his life, here's what he said to first century Christians. And I think here's what he says to you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter here believes that God was Jesus' Father and that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth and into a living hope. And this living hope is not a verb, right? It's not a noun that I'm hoping. It's not a verb that I'm hoping. It's a noun because of what Jesus has done, we have and, and I have and, and you can have hope. But, but based on what, Peter? through or because of. So, so Peter, uh, what sort of tangible evidence do you have? Why, why are you so confident? How can you write these things and live in this way that makes you so confident? How can you now as an old man continue to risk your life and go to Rome? Where do you get that confidence? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, hey, Peter, what's the foundation of your faith? And he would not say it's the parable of the prodigal son. He would not say it's the Sermon on the Mount. My faith in Jesus was resurrected when I saw my resurrected friend. And this new life includes, verse 4, it says, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And the wording here is significant, right? Because who gets an inheritance? Well, children get an inheritance. And in this moment, the Apostle Peter reminds us and he reminds his audience there's a relational factor here. This isn't just history, right? These are not just events. It's by dying on the cross for our sins that Jesus paved the way for us to have a relationship with God. That he described as a relationship between a perfect father and a son or a daughter. But what comes next is perhaps most amazing. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The apostle Peter believed in heaven. But the Apostle Peter did not believe in heaven because of something that he was told as a child. As a child, it is highly unlikely that Peter was told anything about heaven because there is virtually nothing in the Jewish scriptures about heaven. There is so little in the Jewish scriptures about heaven that only about half of the Jewish leaders believe that there is a heaven. They believe that, that when you die, that's it. You live for the pleasure of God, and as life ended, well, life ended. So Peter did not believe in heaven because of something he was taught as a child. 
Peter believed in heaven because of something he saw as an adult, a resurrected Jesus who spoke frequently about heaven. He goes on and he says this in verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Mark this town. Peter did not doubt God's love, and Peter did not doubt God's existence because of pain and suffering in the world. Let me tell you why. Because he saw Jesus suffer, and that's what we remembered on Friday. He saw Jesus die. But then he had breakfast with Jesus on the beach. Peter's faith was not tethered to the imaginary God who does not allow bad things to happen to good people. That wasn't his God. And if you have lost faith in God because of the evil in the world, or if you've lost faith because of uh, pain and suffering in the world, or your pain and suffering, I want to invite you to reconsider. Because the men and women who bring us the story of Jesus, saw pain and suffering that we cannot even imagine. Many of them experienced pain and suffering that we cannot even imagine, yet they believed. Why? Because Peter and his friends, Peter and the other men and women who followed Jesus, saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person they'd ever known. And they believed anyway. Because their faith was not in the imaginary God who never lets bad things happen to good people. Their faith was in the God introduced to them by Jesus. The God who invites you and who invites us to know him as Heavenly Father. And it wasn't necessarily the teaching of Jesus. It was the resurrection of Jesus that completely reframed all of Peter's life. And the invitation on Easter for all of us is to allow the resurrection of Jesus to reframe your life. It reframed Peter's life in this way. When Peter was confronted with the Judas and the henchmen from the temple, you remember this in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter ran for his life. Peter, after the resurrection, walked towards danger in order to give his life away. Now in this letter, he pivots from the resurrection to the crucifixion. And he says something that's relevant to all of us. It's relevant to every single person in the world. And it's relevant because this was the point. The whole interchange between Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. He says this, verse 18. For now you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. And that means that you were bought out of sin. 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he takes us back in that moment to that very first episode when, and when, when Jesus stepped onto the banks of the Jordan River and John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, without knowing what the future held, looked at Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nobody understood what he meant, but Peter, looking back after the crucifixion and the resurrection, says, Ah, now we understand. God sent a perfect lamb, not just to cover and atone for our sins, but to pay for our sins so that the path would be open for us to have a relationship with God. And as Jesus referred to him and told us to do likewise, call him our Father. And the point of all this, we know that God is for us because Jesus died for us. 
not because things always work out for us. This was the power of the resurrection in a culture that was very dangerous. Beyond everything that they had experienced, beyond everything that they had seen, these men and women emerged with passionate faith in God and in Jesus because of the resurrection. And that's why we say the foundation of the Christian faith is an event with profound implications for your life. It's how we know with certainty, as Peter did, it's how we know with confidence that God is personal, that suffering is not evidence of God's absence, and that heaven is real. We know that heaven is real because Jesus taught there is a heaven, and Jesus conquered death. And then perhaps the biggest deal of all, the resurrection of Jesus frees us to accept Jesus' interpretation of his own life. The resurrection confirms everything that Jesus taught. And one of the things that just bothered the religious leaders more than anything is that Jesus, when, uh, when people look at sick people and they, and they came to him to get well, and, it, and instead of healing them, initially he would say, your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. And the religious leaders, they would just explode and say, only God can forgive sin. And then Jesus would smile and say, and only God can do this as well. Stand up and walk. Now you can see. Now you are healed. The point of the crucifixion of Jesus isn't simply heaven. It's that we know that we can be forgiven and have a right standing with God because Jesus forgave sin. And he punctuated his power and he punctuated his authority to forgive sin by rising from the dead. Do you know what that means? Forgiveness is available to you. You are loved by God. And now you are free to, to love and to forgive in turn, to love as he loved, to forgive as he forgave. Jesus called this the mark of the covenant. And Jesus said it's, it's, it's about loving people that are difficult to love and the ones that are nothing like you or the people that will never love you back. And Jesus said that is the mark of the covenant. That means that you have stepped into this amazing new kind of relationship between God and humanity. It's evidence that you have entered the kingdom that is not of this world. You've entered the kingdom that makes no sense to this world. You've entered the upside down kingdom of God that would ultimately circle the globe. It's evidence that you have stepped into the kingdom which has a king that would give his life for his subjects, the king who is worthy of your devotion. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done and for what you've put into place. And because of what we have heard and because of what Jesus has, has done, um, we, many of us, have decided to give our lives to you. And uh, today I thought it would be a good idea because we we see so much of this truth laid out for us that this would be a good time for anyone who is unsure of where they stand or unsure of the relationship with you. They, they're concerned about your ability to forgive their sin and now we've seen that you can do that. And so I, I, I want to invite uh, people who have already had a relationship with you to, to re-cement that, to choose again to follow you. And for those who have never followed you or have and then fell away and then came back and well they don't know where they stand 
God, we want to clean that up today. So I want to give you that chance. If, if you are someone who would like to um, have that relationship, there's going to be a button that appears in the chat window that you can click on to say, I, I, want, I want to talk about this. I want, to, I, want to, I want to deal with this salvation kind of issue. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to say, like James did, that you are my Lord. I, God, I want you to forgive my sins. So I recognize that I've done things that I've that, that fell away from my own standard but certainly fell away from your standard. And so God, I ask that you would, you would forgive me. I recognize that, that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the son of God that in rising from the dead that proved everything that he said was true and that he has the power and authority to forgive my sin. I would like him to do that for me now. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going I'm to click on that button I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. If there's someone who can connect with you, we'd love to be able to help you with that. But don't let today go by and, and not have a chance to deal with this. Thank you for giving your life for me, Jesus. Now I give you mine. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to reframe everything based on the power of your resurrection. Set me free to love and to forgive others. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.